Welcome to the 74th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your temporary host for today, Patrick Winograd. Uh, in this edition of the podcast, we will talk about Major League I should I, I should say I will talk about Major League Baseball and go over random assorted important news in the world of sports. So let's jump right in with a look at the MLB, starting with the National League East where we have the Atlanta Braves in the lead at 71-62. and 62. They are two games ahead of the Philadelphia Phillies at 69-64. and 64. The Mets are 66-67 and 67 in third place in this division. The Nationals are in fourth at 55-77, and 77, and the Marlins are in last at 55-79, and 16-and-a-half games back. The Nationals, 15-and-a-half games back. Uh, in this division, I mean, look, <laughs> the Phillies won six games in a row, but the Braves took two of three from the Giants, which I, will, I won't say surprisingly because they're a good team, but uh, it, it was certainly not an expected result. Uh, then they got swept by the Dodgers, and now that lead that Atlanta had worked so hard to bring out over that huge winning streak that they had is all the way down to just two games over the Phillies, although they are still five games ahead of the slumping Mets uh, more to come on the issues with the Mets later, but to touch on a few of them, uh, Jacob DeGrom looks like he might not pitch for the rest of the year. That would be a huge blow to that team. He really is. I mean, he's the best pitcher in baseball right now, so not having him is a huge deal for them. Another thing that they have to deal with uh, is the fans and the booing and all that controversy, which uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that one more later in the podcast. And also really just a bunch of uh, random issues going on in the rest of the team in the front office. Uh, but there will be some changes there because of some recent events. But at the same time, and, and again, I'll get to those, <laughs> those later too. Uh, but credit to the Braves for winning that series against the Giants. And really, I mean, 2-4 and four against the Dodgers and the Giants combined is a lot better than the Mets did, which was, I think, two wins over 12 games. Uh, so they did a lot better in that stretch. The Braves already had their games with the Dodgers done earlier in the year, uh, or at least the first series with the Dodgers. So I don't think that they, they might have maybe another series with the Giants, but that would be the rest that they have against those three teams, So or those two really, really good teams. Uh, and that's really all they have left to really throw a wrench in their schedule. Uh, maybe the Braves have a series against the Phillies, and that could possibly uh, swing the division. But... For now, it looks like the Braves are protecting a pretty safe lead, but that the Phillies, look, are making up a lot of ground that maybe most of us didn't expect them to. I certainly didn't, uh, although they've had some easy schedules over the past few weeks, so it makes sense that they, that they did make up the games, and they probably should have earlier, uh, if I'm being quite honest. But at the same time, it is still true that it's good for the Phillies that they made up those games, and now this divisional race is close again, uh, although it is still not as good as we thought the division would be at the beginning of the year, or as good as most thought. And by the way, the Mets have won four in a row now, too, to even get back to five games back, which is crazy. But yeah, the Braves only four and six in their last ten games. Mets still don't have a very good chance of uh, getting back into this divisional race, in my opinion, uh, and I think just because of those injuries... Uh, they got some players back. They got Lindor back. Baez was injured for a while and came back very recently. Baez and Lindor recently came back. But at the same time, it's just they don't have enough, I don't think, 
uh, without DeGrom, without Syndergaard, although he's on rehab and coming back soon. I just don't think they have enough to come out and win this division, even though they were in the lead for so long. I think it's evaporated quickly for good reason. And now that the Braves are playing better, even in their losses against the Dodgers, they were fighting back. They threatened to win the game uh, and, and almost had the Dodgers blow a save in the first game of the series. Then they came back from 2-0 down to take a 3-2 lead in the last game of the series. So the Braves are really playing good baseball right now even if the results weren't there last week. So I wouldn't be surprised if they get back to their really good winning ways soon. Uh, and as we know, they already won one game after the Dodgers series, so who's to say it won't continue? I will talk about the Phillies again more later uh, when I go into the wild card standings that we're going to start doing now that we get closer to the playoffs. Uh, really only a month away from the end of the regular season at this point. Uh, but moving on to the NL Central... Uh, the Brewers in first place after winning three of four over the Giants, obviously staying in first place. I shouldn't have acted so surprised. We all know they're in first place. That lead over Cincinnati is now 10, which is not very surprising. Cincinnati, 72 and 63. Uh, the Cardinals are in third at 68 and 64, only two and a half games back of Cincinnati, but still 12 and a half back of the Brewers, looking like a locked up division there. The Cardinal, the Cubs, I should say, 60 and 75. Nine and a half games back of the Cardinals, although that doesn't really matter. They're 22 games back of the division, and as we know, their roster isn't so great. Uh, the, the Pirates are in last in this division at 48 and 86, 33 and a half games back. Not much to talk about in terms of the divisional race as to who will win this division, uh, other than the fact that the Brewers take three out of four out of, over the Giants, and we'll talk about the impact on the Giants that that series had. But for now, it really prevented the Brewers from having any possible slip-ups that might lead to them losing this division. It would take a huge, huge amount of losses for that to happen in the first place. And along with the Reds getting getting really, really hot and playing really, really well down the stretch. Uh, but at the same time, I just don't think it's going to happen. And obviously that 10-game lead with only about 30 games left for each team is a pretty, is a pretty big cushion. Uh, and the Brewers are sitting in good standing if they want to win this division, which it looks like they're going to. In terms of home field, they're actually pretty close. They're only three and a half games back of the Dodgers and Giants for that home field advantage uh, in the overall league, actually. And really, it's just a sign that they've been playing great baseball all year. All those trades are paying off. Willie Adames, uh, Rowdy Telez, they've made a lot of great acquisitions to boost a team that was really, really starting pitching uh, reliant at the beginning of the season. And now it feels like they actually have a balanced enough offense where it feels kind of like the Giants where you know they're going to pitch well, but before it was, can the Brewers get enough offense? Now it is, is someone going to outscore them because they typically are able to get just enough to back up that great starting staff that they have. Uh, and overall, really not much to talk about in this division. I'll loop back to it a lot when talking about the wild card. But for now, I'm going to move on to the NL West where for the first time since late April, the Dodgers have been in first place. Uh, they took it by sweeping the NL East leading Braves while the Giants lost a four-game series to the Brewers. They lost three out of four, salvaged the, uh, salvaged the last game of that series uh, on Thursday afternoon. However, late Thursday night, the Dodgers took over first place alone for the first time since late April, as I mentioned. Uh, they actually tied the Giants first, but then the Giants lost that third game of the series to the Brewers, guaranteeing their series loss, and also putting them a half a game back in the division race, meaning that the Dodgers took over sole possession of first. 
Uh, although that was before the Giants Thursday game against the Brewers where the Giants took Logan Webb and ended up winning that game, which allowed them to create a tie amongst the or atop the NL West. And by the way, the Dodgers and Giants play their final three head-to-head matchups of the weekend in San Francisco this weekend. That series could go a long way towards deciding who wins the NL West. Or if it goes two games, to if, it, if it's just two games in one team's favor, which, I mean, it has to be at least two. If it's only two games in one team's favor, the other team will only be at a, get, at a one-game deficit, and maybe they can make it up again. I mean, just like... The Dodgers made up a one-and-a-half game deficit in a week. Uh, Two-and-a-half game deficit in a week, if you want to think about it from a set point that you could uh, allot there. So it's very interesting. This race is really, really exciting. Uh, in the rest of the division, you have the Padres at 71-63, and 63, 14 games back of the Dodgers and Giants, who lead the MLB at 85-49, and 49, the best records in the league. Then you have the Rockies in fourth at 61 and 73, 24 games back, although still playing like a playoff team at home, 43 and 23 at home on the year, and actually took a series over the Dodgers over the weekend, but at the same time, the Braves beat the Giants, meaning that the Dodgers actually held serve and kept pace with the Giants, although that was a real missed opportunity. The Dodgers, frankly, could have been leading by one going into this series this weekend, but it looks like they're clicking at the right time against the Braves when they needed to. And maybe they can carry that momentum into the series against the Giants, but we'll see. And then you have the Diamondbacks at the bottom of the division, 45 and 90, 40 and a half games back. Uh, again, actually 28 and 38 at home, which isn't too awful. Same record as Pittsburgh, but uh, not too great. And uh, they are almost—they are actually worse than the Rockies on the road after that series when the Rockies got. So now there's a new king of the worst road team in the league, and I feel like I shouldn't even spend any more time on Arizona ever again, but I will still do my due diligence to talk about them anyway. Uh, the Dodgers, 7-3 and three in their last 10. Nobody else in this division over 5-5. Five and five. San Francisco, the best at 5-5. Five and five. The Padres are 4-6 and six this week, and so were, or were 4-6 and six in their last 10, and so were the Rockies. Diamondbacks, 3-7, and seven, so... In the end, you don't get uh, too much variation in the division other than the Dodgers making up those two, two and a half games and taking that division lead and then uh, not not squandering it necessarily because they didn't even play and it wasn't in their hands, but losing it immediately the day after. It was nice to be in first place alone for about a half a day, 12 hours-ish, but uh, the lead goes back and is now a tie with the Dodgers and the Giants. But speaking of that race and also those Padres... The loser of that Dodgers-Giants divisional race has to play that one game, that very, very dangerous one-game wildcard matchup. Uh, judging by the 13-and-a-half-game lead over the second wildcard, I think I can almost guarantee that that will be at home. But I won't jinx anything for either of those teams, so I won't say it is yet, but most likely at home. The Dodgers uh, are currently technically in that wildcard spot. While the Reds are in second in the second wildcard spot, even though they went 4-6 and six in their last 10, so did San Diego, allowing the Reds to keep a half-game lead. Cincinnati at 72-63, and 63, San Diego at 71-63. and 63. The Phillies are two games back at 69-64, and 64, and the Cardinals are only two and a half games back at 68-64. and 64. So it looks like this is no longer just the Reds and the Padres after both of these teams have been uh, a little shaky recently. 
Uh, now you have the Phillies who have won six in a row, seven and three in their last ten, and the Cardinals who are six and four in their last ten, making this an actual close race. Uh, you also have the Mets at five games back, but same deficit they have in the division. Actually, the same for the Phillies. So if they were to make up that deficit, they'd likely win their division anyway. But that is important because the Braves would be pushed down into the spot too. So you can consider that. That really, I mean, the Reds are have the same record as the Braves. So that would be. Uh, that would have the same. That would be the same record, and uh, we'll see who would end up in the wild card race if they tied with the same record and somebody else won the division. Uh, although I doubt that will happen. However, that was very important this week that the Phillies had won those six games in a row because now look at it—they're right back in this race, and they have a chance to make some noise. I'm not necessarily going to say that they'll uh, climb over the Padres or that they'll climb over the Reds. I highly doubt it. I, I think I have the Reds for sure, but I do think it is definitely possible that the Phillies could play a role, and it also gives the Cardinals something to play for when they play against the Reds, if they play against them in the rest of the season, and uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens in that division too, but overall a very interesting race, especially in the wild card too when you look at the NL, and uh, it's really, really close in a few places in the East and the West, especially not as much in the Central, but the Reds still have a heavy part to play in the wild card, and frankly, so do the Cardinals at this point. So we'll have to see how this season turns out. I have no predictions as to who's going to make it at this point. I think I have my money on the Dodgers winning the division, the Giants taking the wild card, and then probably Cincinnati keeping that second wild card spot. But San Diego has been playing so badly for so long that they could really start to play better. Uh, and if they do, they will catch up to Cincinnati pretty easily, in my opinion. So it is very possible that the Padres get in there. And by the way... The Phillies have won six in a row, but if they win six in a row to get to two games back, what happens when they stop winning? I don't know. Well, really, I do know they would fall back down, so I don't have that much faith in them. Maybe the Cardinals could play a role, too. And again, the Mets, after winning four in a row, still five games back. So it doesn't look too great for those teams that had such big win streaks and now are still on the outside looking in as the Reds and Padres kind of stumble a little bit. But uh, that is it for the NL recap of this week. So let's move on to the American League, where we have the Tampa Bay Rays in first, 84-50, and 50, only a half game back of the Dodgers and the Giants for the best overall record in the league. The Rays have been playing really, really well as of recent. Uh, the Yankees, even with how well they've been playing, still now six and a half games back. Uh, the Red Sox are eight games back. At 77 and 59, the Yankees actually at 77 and 56, so even in the win column with the Red Sox, however, definitely ahead in the loss column for the Yankees. And by the way, the Rays won nine games in a row, uh, and the Yankees still six and four in their last 10, but obviously some of that even includes the end of their win streak. But as they've come back down to earth, this lead has extended once again. There's only a matter of time until that probably happened, although the Rays didn't necessarily need to win nine in a row. By the way, They've lost two in a row since then, and they're still six and a half games up. So it's really a credit to how well the Rays have been playing. Actually, the best record or best win percentage in the AL after the All-Star break, with only the Yankees right behind them. And actually, surprisingly, the Tigers in third place there on that on those standings too. But then you have the Blue Jays, 13 games back at 70 and 62. They were six and four in their last 10, which is actually the same record that the Red Sox, Yankees, and them ha and the Blue Jays have. However, that does not bode well for them because they can't just stay even with those teams. They have to catch up. The Red Sox currently second in the wild card, and the Blue Jays, for them, that means they're five games back of them. We'll get to the wild card race later. 
But uh, then you have the Orioles at the bottom of the division at 41-91, 42 games back, 3-7 and seven in the last 10, which I guess isn't as bad, isn't that bad for them, but uh, this team will definitely be reaching 100 losses before they reach 50 wins, and we'll see if they even get to 50 wins by the end of the season. It's possible that it doesn't happen, and we'll just have to see. Uh, in for, for, for the Rays, at least, this is a really good scenario for them, uh, that they're playing hot, that they've been playing hot, and even after a little bit of cooling down, losing those two in a row, they're still in the six and a half game lead. Uh, I think it really makes their lead almost untouchable. It's not yet to the point where the Yankees can't close it because after all, the Yankees did pretty much close five to six games in a matter of a month, uh, when they were on that winning streak, pretty much um, half a month, two-thirds of a month. So it is definitely possible that the Rays lose this division, but if they're able to play at the level they have been all season, nobody can catch them because, look, I mean, 8-5 and five in every 13 games would mean that they go probably, let's say, 15 and... or maybe just straight up just 16 and, 16 and 10 for the rest of the season. I, I find it very, very hard for a team to catch up to that. I mean, even if the Yankees played... 20 and 5 in that stretch, they'd still be behind the Rays, and that would be a pretty ridiculous mark for them to put up. So, I think the Rays are definitely in control of this division, but at the same time, we'll have to see how it turns out down the stretch. The Red Sox, I think, don't really have much of a chance. Nine games back in the loss column of the Rays, I think it's just too much ground to make up, and they've really been even with the Rays all year whenever they've played them in a series, in head to head series, I should say. So, I don't really think there's much room for them to catch up, and the Rays honestly do have a bit of room for error, and really they're just playing well enough that I don't see them losing this division. I just don't see it happening. But I definitely think that this is theirs to win, and it's also theirs to lose. Nobody is in control of their own destiny in this division except for the Rays, and I think they will control that destiny. But let's move on to the AL Central, where the Chicago White Sox are in the lead still at 78-56. and they are nine and a half games up on the Cleveland Indians, uh, who have won four in a row, but the White Sox have won three in a row themselves, so Cleveland not really making up too much ground there. The Tigers are 15 and a half games back at 63 and 72. The Royals are in fourth at 59 and 74, 18 and a half games back. And the Twins are 58 and 75, 19 and a half games back. Those last three teams not really playing any part in that divisional race or the wildcard race for that matter. However, the Indians do have a chance. Cleveland does have a chance to make this close, although I don't really think they have a chance to win. However, the White Sox are dealing with a lot of injuries. Tim Anderson is on the IL, the heart and soul of this team. Lance Lynn is on the IL. Lucas Giolito got placed on the IL earlier today. And I believe there's Carlos Rodon has also been dealing with some tightness and some soreness, so he might or might not be on the IL, and he's definitely going in and out and skipping a start, rusting out a start here and there. So it will be a tough road for the White Sox. They definitely have some pitching to replace. Uh, and also, Tim Anderson's bat in the lineup is very, very important for them. So the White Sox not entirely locked to win this division, although I still think the rest of the team is good enough to put up a record that will allow them to do so. We'll have to see, though. Uh, in terms of the rest of this division, again, it's really just playing a role in the wild card race for the for Cleveland, and that, that role that they will play is pretty minimal. Uh, but at the same time, the White Sox, 
definitely in control of this division. 46 and 24 at home, which is great, but 32 and 32 on the road, which brings in some long-term concerns for this team because they're behind the Rays, they're behind the Astros in terms of home field, they're definitely behind the Dodgers and the Giants. They're also behind the Brewers. The only other division leader that has a worse record than the White Sox are the Atlanta Braves. So it, it might not be possible for them to uh, deal with that home field advantage because they're not going to have it at any point in the playoffs in all likelihood. Uh, so they're going to have to figure out how to win some games on the road, and 32-32 and 32 on the road against all teams is not going to cut it in the playoffs against the better teams that they will be playing. So we'll have to see what that might how that might unfold later in the year with the White Sox. But for now, let's move on to the AL West where the Houston Astros are in the lead. I just mentioned their record. They are a half game better than the White Sox in terms of home field, 78 and 55, which is good enough for a four and a half game lead on the A's. And honestly, surprisingly, the Astros only played 500 ball in the last 10 games. They are 5 and 5. Yet the A's have been stumbling. So 4-6 record for the A's in the last 10, allowing the Astros to actually keep this lead pretty much at what it's been all, almost all season. You also have the Mariners 6.5 games back at 72-62. and 62. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10 to gain some ground on Oakland and on Houston. Then the Angels are 12.5 games back at 66-68. and 4-6 and in their last 10. The Rangers are 47-86, 31 games back. Four and six in their last ten. So there are some interesting parts of this division. Uh, the Angels might be shutting down Mike Trout for the season. Not like they had much of a chance to do anything anyway. Uh, the Mariners and the A's are playing a huge role in the wild card race. The only way that it wouldn't be three teams from the AL East in the postseason is if the A's or the Mariners or both catch on fire and close that gap in the wild card but that's really the role that this division is serving at this point uh but let's talk about that wild card race the yankees are in the first wild card spot one and a half games uh, ahead of the red sox who are currently in possession of the second wild card spot again there's two wild card spots the home team will be the team that's at the top of it and they will play a one game series well not even a series it's one game a one game playoff a wild card game to decide who will play the best overall record in each respective league. The A's are two games back of that spot that the Red Sox are currently holding. The Mariners are four games back. The Blue Jays are five games back. And the Indians are seven and a half games back. Not really going to play a major role in it, in my opinion. But they have been playing better recently, so I figured it'd be it'd be good enough to mention them. Uh, but again, I don't think I don't see them playing a big role in these races, especially because they did really trade away some of their players. Not all of them. They didn't quite shut it down like some other teams did, but they did deal away some players, and they don't have Shane Bieber right now, so not their full complement of players that they'd want. Uh, but it looks like the Yankees are going to take this first wild card spot just based off how they're playing. They're also playing the Orioles this weekend, so a, a really, really good opportunity uh, to maybe extend their lead on the wild card and maybe even make up some ground on the Rays. The Red Sox have been stumbling recently, and they're having a lot of issues with a COVID outbreak within the team that I'll get to in our next segment. Uh, so maybe the A's can catch the Red Sox while the Red Sox are dealing with this very, very shortened roster. And same thing goes for the Mariners, how the A's have been stumbling a little bit, and now this race is close. And by the way, the Blue Jays play the A's this weekend. Could be a very, very important series deciding the wild card. 
If the A's are able to sweep this series, I think it pretty much knocks the Blue Jays out of contention and really puts the A's in a pretty good place, actually. But if the Blue Jays are able to, then the A's are probably out of it, and they have. Uh, it looks like they would be in a decent position to maybe make a comeback here. Uh, but then, I mean, there are so many things that could go on in that series. But if it's really two games either way, I don't think you're going to see much change in the wild card standings other than maybe the A's making up a game on the Red Sox, possibly. Well, the Red Sox play Cleveland again this weekend, just like they did last weekend. They won that series last weekend. Now they get it at home. So I wouldn't be very surprised if the Red Sox were able to win that series against Cleveland. And that would mean that the A's really get kind of locked out of that spot. Uh, but we'll have to see how it all turns out. And I really, really think that the Yankees-Red Sox might end up as a wild card matchup, which would be so great, almost as great as the Dodgers and the Yankees playing in a full, or Dodgers and Dodgers and the Yankees, <laughs> Dodgers and the Giants playing in a full series uh, in the NLDS, which would be a possibility if the Giants won the wild card game, or if the Dodgers won the wild card game, depending on who wins the division, and if one of the, and if the divisional winner there is able to keep that uh, home field advantage in the NL. But that will be it for our MLB recap for this week. Uh, now let's move on to random assorted important news. For the start of college football season, uh, let's go into some college football news that's very, very important, although has nothing to do with this season. The Big 12 has decided not to fold while the other conferences discuss picking apart the teams from it, including most notably Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, uh, possibly some other moves that have been rumored based off of what the Big 12 might do, but... Instead, the Big 12 are turning to BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston as possible main candidates for conference expansion to get the conference back to 12 teams after Texas and Oklahoma leaving it, leave it, assuming they do. As of today, all four teams are planningly are, are planning, uh, reportedly, I should say, reportedly planning, I should say to join the conference uh, and submit their applications by September 10th. They might be able to join the conference, I believe, in the next three years is the provision that's there. Uh, it's possible that they might even be there while Texas and Oklahoma are still on their exit way. So we'll have to see <laughs> really how that might be a little bit of an awkward situation, kind of like uh, some some friends who don't really like each other very much in a friend group. But at the same time, you have... A very interesting choice that the Big 12 has made. Uh, I don't know how much revenue these teams will bring into the Big 12, although I know that 100% they will not bring in as much as Oklahoma and Texas. I wouldn't be surprised if bringing a brand like the BY, like BYU's uh, to the Big 12 made them even bigger and also allowed them to become a bigger brand than some of the schools, especially in football, like a Kansas or a Kansas State. And UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston some teams in the American who have made a lot of headway recently for really, I mean, some great seasons that they've had, especially when you look at UCF's multiple top 10 seasons, Cincinnati's multiple top 10 seasons, and Houston really just being able to stay up there really uh, on the edge of the top 25 pretty much every single year. So I think it will be interesting. Uh, this is a good decision from the Big 12, in my opinion. I mean, if they didn't make this decision now, I think they'd be looking in a tough place because all the other conferences might be looking to expand. And Cincinnati, certainly closer to the Big Ten main area. Uh, same thing for BYU in relation to the Pac-12. Uh, and really the same situation 
for UCF when you relate it to maybe even some more SEC expansion or the ACC if they want to expand, although the SEC definitely may be a little bit too big for UCF to be in. Definitely don't have the brand that those teams have uh, in the SEC. However, some very interesting plans that the Big 12 have here. Definitely Houston makes a lot of sense geographically. A lot of teams in Texas already. In the Big 12, obviously Baylor and Texas Tech and also Texas, but that's not going to be the case in a little bit. Uh, and then Texas A&M, obviously a former member, so add another member of Texas to the fold. And Cincinnati, BYU, and UCF, close enough geographically. They already play as, as far east as West Virginia, so it shouldn't be really a problem to go any further west or even any further southeast. Uh, but overall, I like what the Big 12 is trying to do. I, I love that they're not just folding under the pressure of other people who say that uh, other teams may just be taken from this conference because the Big Ten wants to take them, because the SEC wants to take them, because the ACC wants to take them. I think it's a very good decision for the Big 12 to really kind of fight back here, uh, especially after that announcement of the, alli of the alliance that the Big 12, or I should say the Big Ten, the Pac-12 and the ACC have with each other. But moving on from college football... Match GM Zach Scott was placed on administrative leave after a DWI. Overall, with the booing controversy that's going on with the Mets, how they keep booing their fans, and Javier Baez is now saying thumbs down to the fans, or how the fans keep booing the players, and now Javier Baez clapping back himself by booing the fans, which is a very interesting, uh, bold move. And really, just that whole controversy, I mean, it really feels like they figured it out within a few days. But at the same time, with all the controversy going on, it doesn't help to have a GM who gets arrested for a DUI or for a DWI and is on administrative leave. Uh, it, really, their season has just taken a turn for the worse. It feels like it all started with a DeGrom injury, and every single thing just keeps, to, keeps getting worse from there. It seemed like they had locked, not necessarily locked the division up, but the way that it was going, it looked like they were pretty likely to win that division at the trade deadline after the pickup of Javi Baez. Uh, but then the Phillies started to make some moves, too, at the trade deadline. And then it looked like maybe they would be playing a part in it. And then the Braves just got an entire new outfield at the trade deadline. And that outfield has been performing so well for them, allowing them really to take this lead along with some great pitching and also relying on the guys who have been there for a while, like Freeman and Albies. So uh, it's a lot that the Mets have had to uh, endure but I, I don't see it happening. I really don't see this team coming back with all the stuff that's going on. There are just too many distractions going on in this conference, in my opinion, or in this in this front office and in the rest of the, really just in the rest of the landscape of it, uh, of the team in general. In more baseball news and other front offices, after the Washington Nationals and also the Houston Astros, have uh, asked for their employees to be, or mandated, I should say, for their team employees to be vaccinated. Washington Nationals Vice President Bob Boone, who is also notably the father of Yankees manager Aaron Boone, uh, is resigning over the vaccine mandate for the employees. Two scouts are also leaving next season. The Astros have the same requirement, but I, as much as I've heard, have not been dealing with any resignation so far, although we'll see maybe it took effect earlier for the Nationals, and that's what's causing this. But this is a pretty interesting uh, a pretty interesting situation. This might happen more in the MLB, as you see this for more teams. I think it already happened in the NFL with a few coaches. And the vaccine requirement, and I mean, really, uh, it's a tough predicament that these teams are caught in as they try to balance 
uh, team health and all and team health and safety and front office health and safety with also what employees have been there for so long. You obviously don't want to drive anybody away who's been there for forever, but at the same time, you have to do what you think you have to do to keep your employees and to keep a safe workplace. So uh, I, I think this is something that we'll keep dealing with and uh, keep seeing as a thing that pops up uh, every once in a while in different front offices across all the leagues and for different coaches. So I guess get used to it for fans out there. Uh, you never know when it might be you're, you're a very important member of an organization, uh, but hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully that, that won't uh, be an issue for any of the major teams, especially if you think of Farhan Zaidi for the Giants or Andrew Friedman for the Dodgers or A.J. Preller for San Diego. Uh, there's a lot of examples of really great front office guys that could really damage their teams if they had to leave or choose to, or chose to resign over a policy like this. So uh, it could really send a huge ripple effect across the rest of the sport, uh, re- across the rest of the sports world, really, not just across baseball. And we'll have to see what goes on with the vaccine mandates in these front offices. Moving on from that, Kenta Maeda will be out for 9 to 12 months after having Tommy John surgery, keeping him out for the remainder of 2021 and at least the majority of the 2022 season, with the possibility that he misses the whole year. Really, this is just another blow to the Twins. It just shows that there's two last, their last two seasons, uh, they did great, but now the slump is, it, it, the slump is here, and uh, I think it's really unfortunate a team I thought of very highly going into the season, uh, but pretty much on par with what everybody else thought of them. Just a great hitting team that had good enough pitching, very experienced pitching, to hold it down. Now Jose Barrios is gone. Uh, they traded him. They have Kenta Maeda, who will not be here for the rest of this year and most of next season because of this Tommy John surgery. So... The Twins are going to have to piece it together with some new pieces. They're going to have to figure something out in the offseason. I think this might be the start of a rebuilding process. They might be major sellers next year at the trade deadline when more of their players are uh, close to kind of that rental status where a team can trade for them for only just a month and it gives them a little more flexibility or for only the rest of the year and it gives them really more flexibility. Uh, moving on from the Twins to a different organization, Many Red Sox players have tested positive for COVID-19 over the course of the last week. The list is now up to eight players who have tested positive, with many of them coming from the bullpen and pitching staff. Yairo Munoz, uh, an infielder, shortstop Xander Bogarts, all-star shortstop Xander Bogarts, relief pitcher Hirokazu Sawamura, left-hander Martin Perez, right relief pitcher and also formerly their closer and all-star closer Matt Barnes, uh, relief pitcher Josh Taylor, infielder, outfielder, utility man specialist Kike Hernandez, and infielder Christian Arroyo have all tested positive. And as I discussed earlier, it has really affected the division race for them and also the wild card race. So we'll have to see how that continues to affect this team. Uh, it won't be positive no matter what. I think we all know that. Uh, and I guess with September call-ups, it's nice that they can extend their roster a little bit, but this is the wrong time to be extending your roster when it's already being, uh, it's already really as small as it could be. I mean, th- th- these are not the guys that they want playing every day, the guys that they have up right now. So it is, uh, it's a tough situation that the Red Sox have right now. And really the cases weren't all at one time. So you're not going to have them all coming back at any time. They were all at different times. Uh, it really was over the course of the last week. It started with Arroyo and Kike, 
But I think the Sawamura positive test was as recent as two days ago. So it's gonna it's really just a staggered situation. And obviously some of these guys, Xander Bogarts, Matt Barnes, Kike Hernandez, mainstays for this team. Very, very important. Sawamura out of the bullpen too. Normally a high leverage reliever, a seventh or eighth inning guy. So this really impacts how the Red Sox uh, can battle in their divisional race and opens the door really for the A's and the Mariners to have a better chance at possibly winning the wildcard race. Uh, but overall, this will have an interesting impact on the Red Sox, and we all know it's not going to be positive. Uh, good luck to the Red Sox staying afloat in the meantime, but I mean, really, it'll be a tough task for them. It will be a very tall task. And on that sad note, we will end this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, September 6th, where we will see the accuracy of my weekend predictions and discuss week one of the college football season. In the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content on my website, including my MLB power rankings, my college football season predictions, and anything else that comes up soon, my weekend predictions for sure, some interesting games in college football going on right now. I put North Carolina on upset alert, failed to make the pick for Virginia Tech beating them, and now it looks like Virginia Tech might win this game. Uh, it's only in the starting phases of it as I as I record this, but... Check those all out on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.